Chapter Ten, Part Two of the Swordmaker. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Swordmaker by Robert Barr, Chapter Ten, A Calamitous Conference, Part Two. Madam, I pray you give your attention to me," said the unimpassioned voice of Mayence. I have listened to your conversation with my colleagues, and the patience I exhibited will, I hope, be credited to me. This matter of business, he emphasized the word, must be settled today, and to clear away all misapprehension, I desire to say that your guardian has really no influence on this matter. It was settled before you came into the room. You are merely allowed a choice of two outcomes. First, marriage with Prince Roland. Second, imprisonment in false castle situated in the middle of the rhine what is that demanded the countess i am tired of repeating my statements you would imprison me a countess of seine again the tears evaporated and in their place came the smouldering fire bequeathed to her by the crusaders and if the truth must be known by rhine robbers as well yes madam a predecessor of mine once hanged one of your ancestors it is not true cried the girl in blazing wrath. "'Twas the Emperor Rudolph who hanged him, the same emperor that chastised an archbishop of Mayence, and brought him, cringing to his knees, begging for pardon, which the emperor contemptuous flung to him. You dare not imprison me!' "'Refuse to marry Prince Roland, and learn,' said the archbishop very quietly. The girl sprang to her feet, a quiver with anger. "'I do refuse! Prince Roland has hoodwinked the three of you!' He is a libertine and a brawler, consorting with the lowest in the cellars of Frankfurt, a liar and a thief, and not a brave thief at that, but a cutthroat who holds his sword to the breast of an unarmed merchant while he filters from him his gold. Added to that, a drunkard as his father is, and above all, a hypocrite as his father is not, yet clever enough with all his vices to cause in three men whose vile rule has ruined Frankfurt and left the broad Rhine empty of its life-giving commerce." She waved her hand toward the vacant river. The Archbishop of Cologne was the first to rise, horror-stricken. The girl is mad, he murmured. Treves rose also. But my aunt sat still, a sour smile on his lips, yet a twinkle of admiration in his eyes. No, my poor guardian, I am not mad, she cried, regarding him with a smile, her wrath subsiding as quickly as it had risen. What I say is true and it may be that our meeting, turbulent as it has been, will prevent you from making a great mistake. He whom you would put on the throne is not the man you think. My dear ward, cried Cologne, how can you make such accusations against him? What should a girl living in seclusion as you live know of what is passing in Frankfurt? It seems strange, guardian, but it is true nevertheless. Sit down again, I beg of you, and you, my lord of Treves. Even my lord of Mayence will, I think, comprehend my abhorrence when such a proposal was made to me, and I hope, my lord, you will forgive my outburst of anger just now. She heard the trembling Treves mutter, Mayence never forgives. Now, Father Ambrose, come forward. Why? asked Ambrose, waking from his reverie. Tell them your experiences in Frankfurt. I am not allowed to speak, objected the monk. Speak, speak, cried Cologne. What, sir, have you had to do with this girl's misleading? I thought, he said wistfully to his kinswoman, 
that I was not to mention my visit to Frankfurt unless my lord the archbishop brought up the subject. "'Have you not been listening to these proceedings?' cried the girl impatiently. "'The subject is brought up before three archbishops instead of before one. Tell your lordships what you know of Prince Roland.' Father Ambrose, with a deep sigh, began his recital, to which Trees and Cologne listened with ever-increasing amazement, while the sullen Mayence sat back in his chair, face imperturbable, but the thin lips closing firmer and firmer as the narrative went on. When the monologue ended, his reverence of Cologne was the first to speak. "'In the name of heaven, why did you not tell me all this yesterday?' Father Ambrose looked helplessly at his kinswoman, but made no reply. "'I forbade him, my lord,' said the girl proudly, and for the first time addressing him by a formal title, as if from now on he was to be reckoned with her enemies. I alone am responsible for the journey to Frankfurt and its consequences, whatever they may be. You invoked the name of heaven just now, my lord, and I would have you know that I am convinced heaven itself intervened on my behalf to expose the real character of Prince Roland, who has successfully deluded three men like yourselves, supposed to be astute. The archbishop turned upon her sorrowful eyes, troubled yet kindly. My dear countess, he said, I have not ventured to censure you. Nevertheless, I am, or have been, your guardian, and should, I think, have been consulted before you committed yourself to an action that threatens disaster to our plans. The girl replied, still with the hauteur so lately assumed. I do not dispute my wardship, and have more than once thanked you for your care of me. But at this crisis of my life, a crisis transforming me instantly from a girl to a woman, you fail me seeing me here at bay. I wish to spend a month or two at the capital city, but before troubling you with such a request, I determined to learn whether or not the state of Frankfurt was as disturbed as rumor alleged. Finding matters there to be hopeless, the project of a visit was at once abandoned, and knowing nothing of the honor about to be conferred on Prince Roland, I thought it best to keep what had been discovered regarding his character, a secret between the Reverend Father and myself. I dare say an attempt will be made to cast doubt on the Reverend Father's story, and perhaps my three judges may convince themselves of its falseness, but they cannot convince me, and I tell you finally and formally that no power on earth will induce me to marry a marauder and a thief. This announcement effectually silenced the one friend she possessed among the three. Mayence slowly turned his head, and looked upon the colleague at his right, as much as to say, Do you wish to add your quota to this inconsequential talk? Trees, at this silent appeal, leaned forward, and spoke to the perturbed monk, who knew that, in some way he did not quite understand, affairs were drifting towards a catastrophe. Father Ambrose, began the elector of Trees, would you kindly tell us the exact date when this encounter at the bridge took place? St. Cyril's Day, replied Father Ambrose. And during the night of that day, you were incarcerated in the cellar among the wine casks? Yes, my lord. Would it surprise you to know, Father Ambrose, that during St. Cyril's day, and for many days previous to that date, Prince Roland was a close prisoner in his lordship of Mayence's strong castle of Aronsfels, and that it was quite impossible for you to have met him in Frankfurt, or anywhere else? And nevertheless, I did meet him, persisted Father Ambrose with the quiet obstinacy of a mild man. Treves smiled. Where did you lodge in Frankfurt, father? At the Benedictine Monastery in Sachsenhausen. Do the good brethren supply their guests with a potent wine? 
Frankfurt is, and always has been, the chief market of that exhilarating but illusion-creating beverage. The cheeks of the countess flushed crimson at this insinuation on her kinsman's sobriety. The old monk's hand rested on the arm of her throne, and she placed her own hand upon his, as if to encourage him to resent the implied slander. After all, they were two sayings, hardly pressed by these ruthless potentates. But Ambrose answered mildly, It may be that the monastery contains wine, my lord, and doubtless the wine is good, but during my visit I did not taste it. Cross-examination at an end, the Lord of Mayence spoke scarcely above a whisper, a trace of weariness in his manner. My lords, he said, we have wandered from the subject. The romance by Father Ambrose is but indifferently interesting, and nothing at all to the point. Even a child may understand what has happened, for it is merely a case of mistaken identity, and my sympathy goes out entirely towards the unknown, a man who knew his own mind, and being naturally indignant at an interference, both persistent and uncalled for, quite rightly immured the meddler among the casks, probably shrewd enough to see that this practiser of temperance would not interfere with their integrity. Madam, stand up. The countess seemed inclined to disobey this curt order, but a beseeching look from her now thoroughly frightened guardian changed her intention, and she rose to her feet. Madam, the greatest honor which it is in the power of this empire to bestow upon a woman has been proffered to you, and rejected with unnecessary heat. I beg, therefore, to inform you that in the judgment of this court you are considered unworthy of the exalted position which, before knowing your true character, it was intended you should fill. The various calumnies you have poured upon the innocent head of Prince Roland amount, in effect, to high treason. Pardon, my lord, cried the Archbishop of Cologne. Your contention will hold neither in law nor in fact. High treason is an offense that can be committed only against the realm as a whole, or against its ruler and person. Prince Roland is not yet Emperor of Germany, and however much we may regret the language used in his disparagement, it has arisen through a misunderstanding quite patent to us all. A good but dreamy man made a mistake, which, however deplorable, has been put forward with a sincerity that none of us can question. Indeed, it was the intention of Father Ambrose to keep his supposed knowledge a secret, and you both saw with what evident reluctance he spoke when commanded to do so by my colleague of Treves. Whatever justice there may be in disciplining Father Ambrose, there is none at all for exaggerated censure upon my lady, the Countess of Seine, and before pronouncing a further censure, I beg your lordship to take into consideration the circumstances of the case by which a young girl, without any previous warning or preparation, is called upon suddenly to make the most momentous decision of her life. I say it is to her ladyship's credit that she refused the highest station in the land, in the interest of what she supposes to be, however erroneously, the cause of honesty, sobriety, and, I may add, of Christianity, qualities for which we three men should stand. My lord, objected Treves, we meet here as temporal princes, and not as archbishops of the church. I know that, my lord of Treves, and my appeal is to the temporal law. Prince Roland, despite his high lineage, is merely a citizen of the empire, and a subject of his majesty, the emperor. It is therefore impossible that the crime of treason can be committed against him. During this protest and discussion, the elector of Mayence had leaned back again in his usual attitude of tired indifference. His keen eyes almost closed. 
When he spoke, he made no reference to what either of his two confreres had said. Madam, he began without raising his voice, it is the sentence of this court that you shall be imprisoned during its pleasure in the castle of False Grafenstein, which stands on a rock in the middle of the Rhine, under the guardianship of the False Graf von Stelich, who will be responsible for your safekeeping. I hope you will listen to the devout counsel of his excellent wife to such effect that, when next you are privileged to meet a court so highly constituted as this, you may be better instructed regarding the language with which it should be addressed. You are permitted to take with you two waiting women, chosen by yourself from your own household, but all communication with the outside world is forbidden. You said something to the effect that this court dared not pronounce such sentence against you, but if you possessed that wisdom you so conspicuously lack, you might have surmised that a power which ventured to imprison the future emperor of this land would not hesitate to place in Durance a mere Countess von Seine. The Countess bowed her head slightly, and without protest sat down again. The Elector of Cologne arose. My lord, I raised a point of law which has been ignored. This is the proper time to raise it, replied Mayence, and you shall be instantly satisfied. This court is competent to give its decision upon any point of law. If my lord of Treves agrees with me, your objection is disallowed. I agree, said the elector of Treves. My lord of Cologne, said Mayence, turning towards the person addressed, the decision of the court is against you. Hildegund was already learning a lesson. Though dazed by the verdict, she could not but admire the quiet conversational tone adopted by the three men before her, as compared with her own late vehemence. The decision of the court is not unexpected, said Cologne, and I regret that I am compelled to appeal. To whom will you appeal? inquired Mayence mildly. The emperor, as you know, is quite unfit for the transaction of public business, and even if such were not the case, would hesitate to overturn a decision given by a majority of this court. I appeal, replied Cologne, to a power that even emperors must obey, the power of physical force. You mean, said Mayant sadly, to the three thousand men concealed in the forest behind this house in which you are an honored guest? The elector of Cologne was so taken aback by this almost whispered remark that he was momentarily struck speechless. A sudden pallor swept the usual ruddiness from his face. The lord of Mayence gently inclined his head as if awaiting an answer, and when it did not come, went on impassively. I may inform you, my lord, that my army occupies the capital city of Frankfurt, able and ready to quell any disturbance that may be caused by the announcement of the emperor's death. But there are still plenty of seasoned troops ready to uphold the decisions of this court. When your spies scour the country in the forest and along the river almost to the gates of my city of Mayence, they appeared to labor under the illusion that I could move my soldiers only overland. Naturally, they met no sign of such an incursion, because I had requisitioned a hundred barges which I found empty in the river Main by Frankfurt. These were floated down the Main to Mayence, and there received their quota of a hundred men each. The night being dark, they came down the Rhine, it seems, quite unobserved, and are now concealed in the mouth of the river Lahn directly opposite this castle. When my flag is hoisted on the staff of the main tower, this flotilla will be at the landing below us within half an hour. You doubtless have made similar arrangements for bringing your three thousand down upon Stolzenfels. But the gates of this castle are now closed. Indeed, Stolzenfels was put into condition to withstand a siege very shortly after you and your ward entered it, 
and it is garrisoned by two hundred fighting men, kindly provided at my suggestion by my brother of Treves. I doubt if his capture is possible, even though you gave the signal, which we will not allow. Of course your plan of capturing Treves and myself was a good one, could it be carried out, for a man in jeopardy will always compromise, and as I estimate you are in that position, I should be glad to know what arrangement you propose. The Archbishop of Cologne did not reply, but stood with bent head and frowning brow. It was the Countess von Seine who, rising, spoke. My Archbishop of Mance, she said, I could never forgive myself if through action of mine a fatal struggle took place between my countrymen. I have no desire to enact the part of Helen of Troy. I am therefore ready and willing to be imprisoned, or to marry Prince Rowan of Frankfurt, whichever alternative you command, so long as no disadvantage comes to my friend, his lordship of Cologne. Madame, said Mayant suavely, there are not now two alternatives, as you suppose. In such case, your highness, I betake myself instantly to Fault Castle, and I ask that my guardian be allowed to escort me on the journey. Madam, your determination is approved, and your request granted. But, as the business for which the three electors were convened is not yet accomplished, I request you to withdraw until such time as an agreement has been arrived at. Father Ambrose is permitted to accompany you. The gallant elector of trees sprang at once to his feet, pleading for the privilege of conducting the countess to the apartments of his sister and her daughter. As the door to the ante-room opened, the elector of Cologne, whose eyes followed his departing ward, did not fail to observe that the lobby was thronged with armed men, and he realized now, if he had not done so from Mance's observation, how completely he was trapped. Even had a hundred thousand of his soldiers stood in readiness on the hills, it was impossible for him to give the signal bringing them to his rescue. A few minutes later, the Elector of Trees returned, and took his place at Mayence's right hand. The latter spoke as though the conference had been unanimous and amiable. Now that we three are alone together, I think we shall discuss our problems under a feeling of less apprehension if the small army in the forest has bade Godspeed on its way to Cologne. Such being the case, he went on, turning to Cologne, would you kindly write an order to that effect to your commander? Inform him that we three electors wish to review your troops from the northern balcony, and bid them file past from the hills to the river road. They are to cross the Moselle by the old bridge, and so return to your city. You will perhaps pledge faith that no signal will be made to your officers as they pass us? I make this appeal with the greater confidence since you are well aware three thousand men would but destroy themselves in any attempt to capture this castle, with an army of ten thousand on their flank to annihilate them. Do you agree? I agree, replied Cologne. He wrote out the order required, and handed it to Mayence, who scrutinized the document with some care before passing it on to Tres. Mayence addressed Cologne in his blandest tones. Would you kindly instruct our colleague how to get that message safely into the hands of your commander? If he will have it sent to the head of my small escort, ordering him to take it directly up the hill behind this castle, until he comes to my sentinels, whom he knows personally, they will allow him to pass through, and deliver my written command to the officer in charge. This being done, and Trev's once more returned, Mayence said, I am sure we all agree that the Countess von Seyne, however admirable in other respects, possesses an independent mind and a determined will 
rendering her quite unsuited for the station we intended her to occupy. I think her guardian must be convinced now, even though he had little suspicion of it before, that this lady would not easily be influenced by any considerations we might place before her. The regrettable incidents of this conference have probably instilled into her mind a certain prejudice against us. Here, for the first time, the Elector of Cologne laughed. It is highly probable, my lord, he said, and indeed your moderate way of putting the case is unanswerable. Her ladyship, as an empress, under our influence, is out of the question. I therefore make a proposal with some confidence, quite certain it will please you both. I venture to nominate for the position of empress that very demure and silent lady who was niece of my brother, the Elector of Treves. Treves strangled a gasp in its birth, but could not suppress the light of ambition that suddenly leaped into his eyes. The elevation of his widowed sister's child to the imperial throne was an advantage so tremendous, and came about so unexpectedly, that for the moment his slow brain was numbed by the glorious prospect. It seemed incredible that Cologne had actually put forward such a proposition. The eyes of Mayence veiled themselves almost to shutting point, but in no other manner did emotion show. Like a flash, his alert mind saw the full purport of the bombshell Cologne had so carelessly tossed between himself and his henchmen. Cologne, having lost everything, had now proved clever enough to set by the ears those who overruled him by their united vote. If this girl were made empress, she would be entirely under the influence of her uncle, of whose household she had been a pliant member ever since childhood. Yet what was Mayas to do? Should he object to the nomination, he would at once obliterate the unswerving loyalty of Treves, and if this happened, Treves and Cologne, joining, would outvote him, and his objection would prove futile. He would enrage Treves without carrying his own point, and he knew that he held his position only because of the dog-like fidelity of the weaker man. Slow anger rose in his heart as he pictured the conditions of the future. Whatever influence he sought to exert upon the Emperor by the indirect assistance of the Empress must be got at through the complacency of Treves, who would gradually come to appreciate his own increased importance. All this passed through the mind of man's and his decision had been arrived at before Treves recovered his composure. "'It gives me great pleasure,' said the Elector of Mayence, firmly suppressing the malignancy of his glance toward the man seated at his left. "'It gives me very great pleasure indeed to second so admirable a nomination, the more so that I am thus permitted to offer my congratulations to an esteemed colleague and a valued friend. My Lord of Treves, I trust that you will make this nomination unanimous.' for, to my delight, his lordship of Cologne anticipated, by a few moments, the proposal I was about to submit to you. My lord, stammered Treves, finding his voice with difficulty, I, I, of course, will agree to whatever court decides. I, I thank you, my lord, and you too, my brother of Cologne. Then, cried Mayence, almost joyfully, the task for which we are convened is accomplished and I declare this court adjourned. He rose from his chair. The overjoyed prince on his right took no thought of the fact that their chairman had not called upon the lady that she might receive the decision of the conclave and answer the questions to be put to her. But Cologne perceived the omission, and knew that from that moment Mayence would set his subtlety at work to nullify the nomination. Even though his bombshell had not exploded, and the other two electors were apparently greater friends than ever, Cologne had achieved its immediate object, and was satisfied. Through the open windows came the sound of the steady tramping of disciplined men, 
and the metallic clash of armor and arms in transit. Ah, now, cried Mayence, we will enjoy the advantage of reviewing the brave troops of Cologne. Lead the way, my lord of Treves. You know the castle better than we do. The proud Treves, treading on air, guided his guests to the northern balcony. End of chapter 10 Recording by Todd